Welcome to the XCGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 17, we take a double shot at some light gun games. First, we head out to the country to help Grandpa rid his farm of all sorts of critters in Barnyard Blaster. Then we hit the big city to deal with some street justice in Crime Buster. Now your hosts, Michael and Nicole. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the XCGS Cart by Cart podcast. To start off with the general news here, um, today we have a special guest host, and I'd like to introduce my daughter, Nicole. Uh, David has some very important things going on right now, so Nicole opted to stand in for him uh, for this episode, and so I'll hand it over to Nicole to tell me a little bit about herself. Thank you, Michael, my father. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I appreciate being here. Uh, I know that you've been doing this for a long time, so I feel like it's high time I was at least in one episode. (laughs) So a little bit about me. I've grown up playing some video games, but mostly I like watching other people play video games. So especially as a young child, I liked to watch you play like Oblivion and stuff. You also had gotten me into Minecraft when I was in the fourth grade. It was in its beta form. And I remember using the excuse that I needed to do homework so I could watch you play. (laughs) So I still have a very good connection to it. Um, I love playing Minecraft still. And I also like being the only one of my friends that knows how to make a Minecraft server (laughs) instead of having (laughs) to pay for it. Um, I am a PC gamer. Uh, I like horror games, especially, but I I won't play those because I am too scared. I'll scroll down to the comments and find where the uh, jump scares sections are. Um, But I like other people. I like watching other people play it. Um, I also like choice-based games and puzzle games like Portal or Life is Strange. I sometimes like free roam games like Breath of the Wild. Uh, As far as retro games go... I have been to a few different uh, arcades with you, and when it it comes to playing the retro games, I like just playing them at the arcade as opposed to playing them on an emulator or uh, you've played them here at, at the house. It's not as fun. I like the whole experience. I also grew up playing on the DS and uh, I love Animal Crossing, so basically any sort of platform that it goes onto, I will buy that console so that I can uh, continue to play the series. Uh, so that's just a little bit about me. Let's bring it back to you. Well, I just want to remind you, uh, Nicole has been on the show before. She used to do the bumper for when we used to do budget games. So remember, budget games. Such a deal. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> All right, well, let's see what's going on with me. Um... I was finally able to attend my local retro computer get-together, which has been pretty much locked down since COVID, and that was fun. Uh, It was just kind of a last-minute one, and there wasn't a lot of people that showed up, but um, it was a good turnout, and I brought my recently repaired um, 1200XL and brought my FujiNet, which I got. Unfortunately, that thing lasted about, uh, the 1200, I should say, lasted about five minutes when it went green screen on me, so the fixing I did needs a little more fixing. But, um, you know, it's just like, you know, this is the thing with old computers. They, you have to fix them. So I also finally got the parts to my uh, 32K upgrade, internal upgrade for my Timex Sinclair 1000. Um, it's probably a little bit overkill since most of the games are only needed at the most 16. But I kind of wanted the, the full size uh, so I could install any, like, you know, um, any games that, are, that were maybe made for 32 if they're out there. And it was really not a hard uh, fix 
to do. But unfortunately, as I was going through it, I did a couple other mods all at once, and um, now I don't have a picture coming out of it. So I got to figure out what that is. I pulled the RAM upgrade and just kind of started going back to basics. So I'm going to troubleshoot that. But um, again, one of those things that happens when you you know you own old computers. And that's pretty much what's been going on with me since uh, last time I recorded. So I guess we should start to get on to our first review. Um, before I get into that, though, I just like to talk about these are both light gun games. And um, I just want to discuss some of the aspects of a light gun. So first off, uh, for this review, both Nicole and I used a 20-inch CRT with the XCGS. Um, I also did a little bit of testing with the mouse pointer in uh, the emulator Altera just to get kind of a feel for both. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, I think it has to go without saying that um, you need a CRT for a light gun or a monitor. And I won't go into the nitty gritty of why this is the case, but I will provide you links uh, to show notes for a really, really good video on the subject if you want to watch it, uh, specifically how Nintendo's light gun works. That being said, the XG1 light gun isn't as accurate as the Nintendo's version and has been reported to have a bit of horizontal inaccuracy, so it kind of drifts from side to side. So when you say, I hit that, you might have, but the gun isn't accurate enough to really um, record that. I also mentioned uh, this in an article way back in Episode 8 for Crossbow, but uh, since it's been four years since we talked about that, I figured I'd mention it again, but Matthew Radcliffe, uh, Radcliffe excuse me, of Antic Magazine, in August 1988, Volume 7, Number 4, page 43, wrote an article about the accuracy issues with the XG-1 light gun, as well as provide a short basic program to uh, display these inaccuracies. And the article does say uh, this probably can be overcome just by adding a calibration screen that would um, have players shoot at points on the screen. Unfortunately, now the XEGS light gun games offer this feature and have hard-coded values which are different between different games, causing this inaccuracy issue. The funny thing is the light gun and light pen are very similar technologies, and the software for the light pen does tend to come with this calibration feature. In fact, um, to get the light gun's X and Y coordinates, you just peek at decimal 564 and 565, or L-P-E-N-H, or light pen, horizontal, and L-P-E-N vertical, V, or light gun vertical. So they have memory locations. If you don't have an XG-1 light gun, the article tells you how to modify the Sega light gun, which involves making a new cord and rewiring the trigger uh, so that it fires the gun when you press the trigger and not uh, when you release it. So um, to me, that sounds like a lot of work, and I wouldn't go through it unless you could get your hands on a light gun. Matthew also wrote a program called Sharpshooter in Analog Magazine, issue 78. Article is on page 10, and the listing is page 35. This is back in 1989. Uh, there were two listings, one for the machine language editor version with a ton of data statements, and the other in action. If you want to type in the machine language editor version, you need Analog's machine language editor, but I recommend the action version just because typing in all those data statements will drive me mad. <laughs> this game is pretty much a target practice challenge uh, where you try to get as close to the center as a randomly generated bullseye pops up. If you hit it, you hear ding, and if you hit outside, you hear splat. If you completely miss it, it's a dull thud. 
I'd like to thank Charlie Chaplin from the Atari Age Forum for telling us where we could find this because no one was looking forward to typing in this program. Uh, now, I, we figure it might be important to know what the optimum screen size and distance are for required for playing these light gun games. According to the Nintendo Duck Hunt record holder, to get the best score in light gun games, he says use a 24-inch TV, crank up the contrast and sharpness, and play between 5 and 6 feet from the TV. Now, if you can't obtain a CRT or you just don't have the room for one, an emulator is a great option for most games, but we wouldn't suggest it for these games. They're just too accurate and kind of takes the fun out of the experience. That being said, if you do choose to play these on emulator, my personal choice for the PC would be Altera. Aside from some of the confusing interface options, it's a wonderful application once you get it used to it. But to use the mouse as a light gun or light pen, it can be a bit confusing. So we'll do our best to walk you through the process that worked for us. So in the main screen, select input, then input mapping. Select the Add button and give the controller a new name, for example, Light Gun Pen, and hit the Enter to accept the name. Now hit the Edit button. Select Add Controller button. Select the Controller dropdown and select Light Pen and select OK. Select Access 1 to None and select Edit button. Select the Source dropdown and select Mouse Position X Light Pen and select OK. Select Access 2 to None and select the Edit button. Select the source drop-down and select mouse position Y, light pen, and select OK. Select the line that starts with gun trigger and select the edit button. Select the source drop-down and select mouse left mouse button, or LMB, or mouse right button if you prefer to use the right button to fire your gun. Then select OK. Select the line that starts with on screen and select edit button. Select the source drop-down and select the opposite mouse button that you chose before. So instead of the left mouse button, you chose the right mouse button. And then select OK. Select the OK button again to exit the Edit Input Mapping screen. Check the box next to your newly created light gun, and then select the Close button to exit the Input Map screen. So I hopefully will, I'll put this in the show notes, so if you have to follow along, because I know it's a little difficult to listen to me and do this at the same speed. At least you know how to do it. Chances are your shots won't be dead center in the crosshairs. Uh, if this is the case, select the light pen gun from the input dropdown. This will also allow you to adjust the offset of your shots in relation to the crosshairs. I loaded up the previously mentioned sharpshooter and used this to zero in uh, my rounds on um, by playing with the numbers. You don't have to change it much. For me, it was horizontal. I set it to 1, and vertical, I set it to 13, and it was pretty much dead on. Oh, and before you start shooting, select the mouse button you mapped to on screen. In my case, this was the one on the right. This will make your crosshairs have a little circle around them. This tells you you're in game mode, and you're ready to shoot at the baddies on the screen. If you don't do this, your shots will end up at the bottom right of the screen. You know, I want to make a little comment before I begin this uh, game review here. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, the Nintendo Duck Hunt record holder suggested sitting between five and six feet from the TV, but uh, we found that it ended up getting stuck a little bit too much, and the ideal spot was around three to four feet from the TV. So this first game is going to be called Barnyard Blaster. It's uh, made by Atari in 1987. The model number is RX8086, and the genre is a light gun shooter. The developers are 
James Zalewski and Joe Simcoe. It is between one and two number of players. Um, if it's two players, then there's alternating. And the controller, of course, is a light gun. The back-of-the-box description is, you and Grandpa are down on the farm. There are critters, bottles, and varmints everywhere, in the barn, in the yard, and in the cornfield. Grandpa has given you an Atari light gun to help protect the farm. The moving targets are a challenge. Can you hit them? If not, try the veggies. They're fun to shoot at. In the barnyard, bottles and cans on the fence provide great practice for warming up the old shooting iron. But perfect aim alone isn't enough. You'll need speed, too. In the cornfield, birds swoop from the sky and rabbits scamper along the stalks. Owls and other pests appear inside a barn. Each scene can only be reached by hitting enough targets in the scene before. Once you zero in on some fancy shooting scores, Gramps offers you a bonus round by tossing target bottles in the air. So grab hold of your Atari light gun, partner, and go get them! Before we start talking about the game, it was reported in the Antic article that we previously mentioned that the game shoots a bit to the right, so you might want to aim a little bit to the left for the best possible chance of hitting your targets. Additionally, although our NES expert recommends you play at a distance of 5 to 6 feet, the manual suggests 3 to 5. In the sky, written in what appears to be clouds, is the title Barnyard Blaster. In the lower right is displayed, written by James V. Zalewski. At the bottom is the copyright information. The entire time, the old McDonald song plays in the background. And to start the game, shoot anywhere on the screen. A bullet hole will appear on the screen for a moment before the game moves you into the next section. Then you'll be taken to a screen showing two hay bales located up in the loft of the barn. One bale is labeled with one player, while the other is labeled two players. By shooting two players, you'll take turns sharing the gun. After you make your choice, we're brought to the barnyard. In front of you is a wooden fence with several cans and bottles lined up to practice your aim. Try to do your best to take out each target. When cans are shot, they will fly up into the air, while bottles will break into pieces, leaving residuals behind. Gramps was generous enough to provide you with a gun that contains 40 rounds and doesn't require reloading. That's what we call one of those Hollywood guns. Your supply of bullets will be replenished at the beginning of each challenge area. After you shoot all of your targets, you'll be taken to the scoring screen. In the center of the screen is displayed your current screen score, your bullet bonus, which is calculated by the number of bullets you have left after a round, and multiply that by 100, and your total score. At the bottom of the screen is displayed the total shots you took for the game, as well as the number of items you hit, and your accuracy percentage. You also are treated to that old McDonald's song. Get used to it, because you'll be hearing it often. Shooting the screen will take you to the next level, but to advance, you'll need to achieve a certain percentage of shooting accuracy. Let's take a peek at Gramps' bonus screen. Gramps is now ready to test your shooting skills further. Within the backdrop of his barn and silo, he'll throw ten bottles up into the air. As they spin, do your best to take them out before they exit the screen. But don't shoot poor old Gramps! or the bonus round will end, and possibly Gramps himself. You shot me! Okay, moving on. This time, when you hit an item, you're shown the value that will be added to your score. Keep your eye out for those gophers who might appear in the field behind the tree. He can appear on all four of the game screens. Now we wander into the cornfield. It's time to put that practice time to the test. You'll need to defend your grandpa's cornfield from the crows and rabbits. But first... Gramps wants you to splatter those old watermelons and pumpkins before you can eradicate those critters. As soon as that task is completed, crows will fly in from the sides of the screen. 
Rabbits will do the same, but from the ground level. In the barn is where things get a bit strange. Seeing you're on a farm, you wouldn't think that Gramps would have you shoot at his prized farm animals, but that's exactly what he has you do. The manual labels these as critters, but some of these are his ducks and chickens, while others, like the owl, are helpful in keeping unwanted critters under control. And even the small birds aren't even a nuisance. Yes, there are the occasional rabbit and mouse that need eliminating, but it just seems like we're on a murderous killing spree, and we're ordered to shoot anything that moves. So let's talk about the point system. In each area, the point system can range from 10 to 250. In the barnyard, bottles and cans are 10 to 50 points. In the cornfield, watermelons and pumpkins are 10 to 50 points. And rabbits and crows are 30 to 150 points. In the barn, ducks and chickens are 20 to 100 points. Small birds, owls, and rabbits are worth 30 to 150 points. And mice are worth 50 to 250 points. And during Gramps' bonus screen, spinning bottles go from 20 to 100 points. I found that if you shoot the bottles immediately, you'll get like 60 points. And then if you just wait a second, the next one will be 100 points. So I assume that Gramps doesn't want you shooting so close to him. That was close. And in all areas, that pesky gopher is 50 to 250 points. Gramps has also come up with a ranking system depending on how many challenges, aka screens, you complete. These 13 ranks are as follows. Zero screens finished, you are a total dud. One to two screens, you're an egg hunter. Three to five, stable hand. Six to eight, hay baler. Nine to 11, cow milker. 12 to 14, a redneck. 15 to 17, a farmer. 18 to 20, harvester. 21 to 23, husker. 24 to 26, a shootist. 27 to 29, Terminator. Thirty to thirty-two, a sniper, and finally thirty-three to thirty-six, a blaster. If you complete all thirty-six screens, you get a screen with the text "You win, I give up." Now the manual states that the critters give up, and you and Gramps can rest for the night. But since the message says "I," we can only suspect that someone or something speaks for all of those farm critters. So let's talk about the controls. Although you use your light gun to operate the game, there are a couple other keys that are useful to know. To pause the game, press the select button. To return to the title screen, press the reset button. And most important, in my opinion, to turn off the music, press the option button. Let's talk a little bit about history and trivia. Although not specific to this game, the light gun was invented in 1934 by Charles Rivet and would shoot at photo tubes. The first game to use the technology was Seaberg's Duck Hunting, released in 1936. The first console to bring light gun technology into the living room was the Magnavox Odyssey in 1972. In November 1974, Atari released a game called Quack in the arcades, which was a duck hunting game. The screen has an overlay as if you were hunting within the marsh and as a black and white digital duck flew over. If you down one of these birds, they will plummet to the ground where your faithful hound runs from the side of the screen and retrieves it for you. I remember going to the arcades and playing this uh, when visiting my grandma. It's been some time, but the one I remember playing didn't have the overlay, and I thought the gun was mounted to the arcade unit. I remember thinking the dog was a wolf and he was stealing my kills. 
Although Retro fans will be familiar with the Nintendo light gun game Wild Gunman. Your hands? That's like a baby's toy. There's actually a Nintendo predecessor of the same name. This game projected a 16mm film onto a screen where you had to shoot the enemies or be shot yourself. Also, thanks to Atari Compendium website, we were able to find out a few more things. For one, there's also a hidden game mode called Blood Guts, which makes the animals explode <laughs> into red pixels instead of showing you point value. For those who played Mortal Kombat on the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive, uh, Master System, or Game Gear, you'll be familiar with the blood code that would unlock the bloody fatalities. Well, this is sort of the predecessor. To initiate the mode at the title screen, hold the option key, then select, and then start. The programmer's name, James V. Zalewski, will turn black. Release all three keys, and then start a new game. When you get to Gramps' bonus screen, shoot the weather vane. A screen with the text, Program Written and Graphics Done by James V. Zalewski. Sound and Music by Joe Simcoe. Blood and Guts Now Enabled. Shoot to Continue will appear on the screen. A gopher can rarely be seen in the Hay Hood doorway on the barn exterior screen. As far as Legacy, there is only uh, the only other system this game appeared on was the Atari 7800. So, it's time to review the game. Nicole, would you like to go first? You know, I would. All right. So let's start off with the pros and cons before I get into the ratings section. We're going to start off with the bad, the cons. There is, as you were touching on this before, not great accuracy, um, which is just with the gun itself. But like I was saying earlier, sitting about five to six feet away was a little bit too far back so that the shots would actually get stuck. You weren't able to move the gun on screen. I don't like that you can keep the gun in the same position for the bottle throwing section. Um, I find that it's pretty easy to cheat for some big points, especially since they cross over along the same areas. As you were mentioning this earlier, it shoots a little bit closer to the uh, right. So there were several times where the bullet was extremely close and I thought that I did hit it, but it wouldn't count it. Sometimes I would notice that I would hit the targets more often if I dramatically moved the gun from side to side rather than if I just moved it slightly to hit the target. And the light gun actually reminded me of using the Wii controller just <laughs> because it, it used to um, screw up the direction of which you were pointing quite easily. One of the biggest cons on this list is the song. The old McDonald's song plays way too often and is extremely annoying. So yes, turn down the volume. I also felt like the accuracy percentage each round was pretty inaccurate. I never got above a 60% accuracy, as embarrassing as that is, <laughs> even though I felt like in some rounds I didn't miss much at all. Now onto the pros. I do like the scenery and the detail in the art. It's, though I didn't grow up in the time, seems very complex for the time. I felt like it was pretty detailed in comparison to a lot of other games that I had seen. I like that it randomizes the order of the targets each game. But if it doesn't give you, like, a lot of the options for mice in the one barnyard scene, um, you lose out on getting some big points. There's a good amount of bullets as well. Just enough that you can miss some, but not enough to just shoot willy-nilly. Now on to the ratings. So for graphics, I give it an 8 out of 10. Just because, like I said, it seemed a little bit more complex for the time. And I felt like there was a lot of detail put into the animations. For the sound and music, I give it a 4. 
I think that's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> there was there seemed to be besides the regular uh, gunshot noises, which were fine. The music seemed to be pretty much the only sound, and it got on my nerves quite a bit. For the gameplay, I'd actually give it a nine out of ten. I really did enjoy it. Um, it was quite fun being able to switch so often between the rounds. I felt like that was a good way of keeping your audience's attention. As someone who's grown up in the generation of instant gratification, it was quite nice to be able to switch rounds so frequently. For the presentation, I give it an 8 um, because of the uh, intro screen, but I especially like the box art because it's very uh, reminiscent of the Betty Boop cartoons, just the way of the um, drawings, the way it's styled. So my overall rating for this game is an 8 out of 10. Nice. Well, my turn. Um... So for graphics, I gave it a six, although the scenes were well drawn. For the most part, they reminded me of images you, you get to paint in a like a digital coloring book of the time. Um, I do, however, see instances of horizontal blanks to add more colors to the scene. I also suspect they transitioned from static graphics to player missile graphics to give static images movement when shot. They even added um, a color cycling Fuji at the score totaling screen, which was very nice. So um, you can tell these guys knew uh, how to take advantage of the Atari, but I just don't think the images and animations uh, are all that impressive. As far as sound and music, I give it a five. Um, I'd say the best sounds are the gunshots and uh, the score sound. The rest I'd rank as mediocre to a little grating, as they were seem to be inspired by car alarms from the 1990s. Uh, there isn't much variety either. And with with one just being played at a different octave. Uh, speaking of grading, um, as you mentioned, Nicole, you will soon get very, very tired of hearing Old MacDonald and a tepid one at that. Um, as far as gameplay, I give it a six. Um, I did find shooting some of the targets challenging and not entirely because of the inaccuracy of the gun. There were times where I got very low on ammo and had to be very careful with my shots. But I also found myself getting bored with the game due to its limited number of screens and having only one target on the screen to shoot at a time. For presentation, I give it a 5. The cover art is colorful, but a little chaotic and doesn't reflect the work of a skilled artist, nor does it inspire me to play the game. I think the back of the box does a better job of selling the game with the decent summary and the use of the cans and cornfield screens. It probably goes without saying at this point in the XEGS game reviews, but the manuals are your typical boring palette, the grays and the blues and the blacks. Uh, but I think some more care could have gone into its content. Uh, there's an area where it says you must achieve a certain percentage of shooting accuracy, but it doesn't tell me what that percentage is. So you're pretty much guessing when uh, you'll be surprised, you know, you'll be guessing when you'll have, you'll fail the game. I really think they should um, tell you at certain levels what the accuracy must be to progress into the next uh, screens. So overall, I give uh, the game a five. Uh, with the limited number of light gun games in the Atari computer, if you have a CRT and a light gun, I would consider as adding to your collection. But as far as something I'd consider playing on a regular basis, uh, this just isn't one of those games. Okay, on to our next review. And that game is Crime Buster. It was published by Atari Corporation in 1988. The model number is RX-8104. The genre is, again, a light gun shooter. It was again developed by James Zalewski 
And this time art was done by Ron Art Andrew Juski. It is a one or two player game alternating and the controller is obviously the light gun. So let's talk about the back of the box description. The city has become overrun by an ever-increasing game of mobsters, and the commissioner has had enough. As one of the force's top detectives, you have been sent to stake out gang hideouts and bust the criminal inhabitants. But it won't be easy. Word has leaked out that you're on a cleanup mission, and the mob is planning to rub you out. No matter where you go, they'll be after you. On the streets, they may appear behind garbage cans or cars. At the warehouse, a secret stronghold, they may be hiding in boxes or crates. At the pier, beware of the suspicious-looking boat moored to the dock. They'll fill you full of holes unless you can get them first. Take careful aim with your Atari light gun and score big points with the bigwigs back at the department for every mobster you blast out of business. But don't be penalized by accidentally shooting innocent bystanders in the process. Help rid our fair city of these hoodlums once and for all with Crime Buster, the most exciting video adventure yet. Your objective for the game is to clean out all 12 crime scenes of gangsters before using up all of your three lives. If you don't shoot out all of the bad guys at each crime scene before running out of bullets, you lose a life. Let's start with the title screen. You're presented with a shot of the surface of your work desk. In the center is a book titled Crime Buster in rainbow colors. To the left of the book is your service revolver. On the right are a key and a pencil. Scattered around are eight rounds of ammunition. Text at the lower right states, written by James Zalewski. At the very bottom of the screen, it states Crime Busters. If you wait a few moments, the message will change to say, Copyright 1988 Atari Corporation, all rights reserved. Then, after that, it says, shoot or press start to begin game. You can either shoot to move to the player choice screen or wait and it will eventually take you there automatically. On the next screen, you're presented with a billboard to choose the amount of players. Haphazardly tacked to the board are wanted posters of several individuals with their faces plastered on them. These signs say, wanted, dead or alive, I wouldn't want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Behind the sign is another that says, Reward, Fast Eddie, $2.5 million. He must be pretty fast if no one can catch him for that amount of money. <laughs> Wanted, Muggsy. He looks pretty chipper. Reward, Babyface. This guy is wearing a little beanie. Wanted, Lefty. His name is in double quotes, so I assume it's an alias. There's another poster behind him that says, Big Mikey, $500,000. That's a big reward for a big criminal. And finally, Wanted, Z. I think I saw this guy hanging out at Sesame Street. The letter Z. Remember these faces, because you'll encounter them while on duty. There are two other signs that are more important than the others. These say one player and two players. By shooting two player, you and your friend will take turns cleaning up the city. The message at the bottom of the screen says, Select number of law enforcers on duty. It's time to hit those mean streets. You'll be shown a map of the city, broken up into 12 sections. This 4x3 grid isn't marked, so shoot an area at once. The call will be displayed at the bottom of the screen. Since there are only four screens, you'll be playing these three times until you clear the level. When you decide on the area you want to investigate, shoot it again. 
At some point in the game, you'll be required to drive to the crime scene. As you drive along the road, both enemy and friendly cars will pass you. Only shoot the enemy cars, which are marked by a white line on top of them. At the lower part of the screen are five aiming direction arrows. By shooting these, you can fire bullets out of your car in those directions. Right and left arrows, these will move your car in the selected direction on the road. And two gauges that don't seem to do anything at all. If you shoot a car, this will roll over and explode. If your car gets shot, your car will explode and you'll lose a life. Before you select one of these calls, maybe it's important to note what you're up against. These areas are listed as follows. Disturbance in the city. In the manual, this is listed as downtown. You're outside of an army surplus store in Z's Bar and Grill. Since we know Z is a wanted man, you should probably expect trouble. Keep your eye on the open windows, but some of those rats will pop up from the sewer. Even with all of the violence, the streets still see an occasional shopper who seems to be more interested in the 20% discount on sale items than the hail of bullets flying all around them. Suspected Hideout You'll know you're at the hideout because right over the entryway is a sign that says hideout, so it doesn't take a detective to suspect what the place is being used for. Keep your eye open for suspects popping out of the eight windows. Something fishy on the docks. In the manual, this is listed as pier. Mobsters crouch in the boat tied up on the pier, but keep an eye on the water as well. Illegal warehouse activity. In the manual, this is listed as warehouse. Gangsters will take cover behind boxes and crates, as well as appearing for a moment in windows and doorways. There's even a sign that says, get out. So you know you shouldn't expect a warm welcome. On all of the screens, it's important to never shoot innocent bystanders. Sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference, so look for the subtle differences, like them holding a gun. If you shoot anyone but a criminal, you'll be deducted 10 bullets from your supply. Speaking of bullets... You're given a supply of 80 rounds, which are displayed at the bottom of the screen with each challenge. When your supply of bullets reaches 10, the bullets will start to flash, alerting you to their low level, as well as your score and the number of lives you have left. If you successfully shoot all the criminals before running out of rounds, you'll be taken back to the city map. The area you just successfully cleared will be grayed out, and you'll be allowed to select another section of the map. As previously mentioned... If you don't shoot all the bad guys at the end of the level, you lose a life. When this happens, you're presented with a screen with a skull and crossbones. At the bottom it reads, you have just lost a life. You will also be taken back to the city map, allowing you to choose this area again or another area. For scoring, uh, the cars are worth 1,000 points and the gangsters are worth 25, 50, 75, or 100 points. Your game ends when you run out of three lives you've been given. You're then shown a screen with the current high score, your score, and your rank. On the right of the screen is an image of your badge. At the top of the badge, it says Crime Buster, the city of Detroit where you patrol, and your badge number, which is 458. At the bottom of the screen, it says Game Over, press Start to play again. Your rank is determined by the number of dragnets completed. These are zero dragnets, you're a mobster. One, you're an academy dropout. Two, beat walker. Three, traffic cop. Four, rookie. Five, officer. Six, sergeant. Seven, captain. Eight, detective. Nine, inspector. Ten, unpluggable. Eleven, police chief. And twelve, 
the coveted crime buster. Although the manual had some tips section, it wasn't all that helpful. So here are a few of our own. Ignore the dames. <laughs> Keep your eye on the prize. They don't shoot you, which is nice. If someone uh, that looks like a kid appears but doesn't have a big lollipop, blast him. Only rats come out of the sewer, so if a manhole cover raises, close it with gunfire. Those paying attention, or notice that I said this, <laughs> will notice that uh, both games we're reviewing are the same programmer, James Saluski. James also did the graphics and programming for an unreleased 8-bit game, Mean 18, a golf game by Accolade. It was, however, released on other systems, including the Atari 7800 and Atari ST. James produced several memorable games for K-Byte, such as K-Razy Shootout, a Berserk clone, K-Razy Critters, a Space Invaders-inspired game, as well as two maybe-not-so-known games by CBS Software, such as Peanut Butter Panic, Webster, The Word Game. The Activision game Keystone Capers had Crime Buster's handbook on the cover of its manual. There is an Easter egg in the game. Here are the steps. Hold down the Option key when turning on the game. When you see a black screen, quickly hit Select. You should then get a title screen. Let go of the Option key and shoot the title screen to start the game. On the Selection screen, completely shoot out the bottom left blue tack that is holding the wanted poster of the Criminal Z, located in the bottom right of the board. You are now in Easter Egg mode. When the tack is gone, the game will jump back to the title screen. After a few moments, you'll see a screen with a text program written by James Zaluski and graphics by Ron Art, Andre Ruski. Andre Ruski. Thank I'm you. not sure if that's true, but... <laughs> I need somebody to help pronounce the words at the bottom. Enjoy Easter Egg number one. Let's go on to the other Easter Eggs. Start the game as normal. Pressing the space bar now skips the car chase scene. Oh boy, I'm going to do that. <laughs> You'll now see three new uh, enemy characters. Santa Claus, Oscar the Grouch, and an old man. Shooting Santa Claus will occasionally reward you with a free life, and the old man will usually reward you with some extra ammo. Now, we both saw Santa Claus without initiating the Easter egg, so but we never shot him. We also saw the old man. Did we? Yeah, and we didn't shoot him either. Oh, interesting. Maybe we did something with the Easter egg accidentally. Uh, the only inanimate objects that you can shoot out are the light bulbs in the dock scene and the car's side window in the bar scene. We shot out the light. But it didn't really affect gameplay. It just made things darker. The skull and crossbow picture that appears when you lose a life is the same picture that appears in the 5200 game Countermeasure when you lose the game. I also found it used in a pirated version of the Happy Utility Menu version 1.0, cracked by the PSI user group. Once again, I'd like to thank the Atari Campendium website for providing us with this information. Legacy. Unfortunately, this game only appears in the XEGS, so its legacy ends here. But we did come across a 1989 NES game by Bit Corporation called Crime Busters. It takes place in the modern day and has only three levels outside a bank building, inside a warehouse, and inside of the bank. It shares some similarities to Crime Buster, but so do a lot of the other light games of that era. Timed for a review. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I'll go first. Cool. Let's start again with the pros and cons list. I'll start off with the cons again. Um, I am going to be brutally honest. I don't like the car shootout part. I really hate it. 
Um, in fact, I couldn't do it once. I was unsuccessful every single time. I found that the controls to move the car were interesting, but the controls to shoot were dumb. Um, I would rather just shoot on the screen. Um, when a car comes from the edge of the screen and s starts shooting at you, uh, it's able to hit you first. So I found that that to be really annoying. And as a newbie for the game, um, it could have just had the options for the car to move. I don't like that two of the same characters can appear at the same time. That might just be a little bit too difficult for them to um, program, but it really uh, ruined the illusion of me being there. Babyface is one of the villains that looks like a child, but he looks way too close. <laughs> the only difference seems to be the lollipop versus the gun that they're each holding. Um, and I found that there should be maybe one more difference, unless I'm not noticing something, um, that would make it easier to tell them apart. Because it's easy, it's hard to tell at first glance which one you're shooting at, but I shouldn't have to think about it every single time they pop up. <laughs> I know that there is an adverse effect when you shoot at the good guys, but it didn't seem to really affect anything. Um, it didn't seem to change the gameplay in our experience. I think you lose like 10 bullets. You do, but it, it didn't seem to affect our gameplay. Right. So it happened a few times, but never once did it end early for us. True. And I do have a con, but a question. Do you take damage when they shoot at you? Sorta. I noticed when you were fired at, from time to time, your bullet bar would flash and you would lose about 10 bullets. So I guess you could consider this taking damage. Of course, there's no mention of this in the manual. That's what I thought. <laughs> During the car shootout, it's the first thing that happens, but it also happens one or two more times randomly when you're playing. Again, worst part of the game. I think they also should have had one female villain, so it looks similar to the dame that you're not supposed to shoot. But just like with Babyface, it should be a little bit different. So that as soon as a woman is in the window, you would automatically know not to shoot them instead of having to think about it every time. Let's move on to the pros. The details in all of the backgrounds are great. I love all of the colors, and it looks like a lot of detailed work put into everything, not just the focal points. The music is catchy and cute, and it's not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the sounds are good, and I like that there isn't music throughout the game, just in the intro and, I believe, the um, ending screens. I like that they have good guy cars that pass by. Those are easy to tell since they don't have the white stripe, but you're not usually able to tell as soon as they pop onto the screen. So if you're a little trigger happy, it can trick you out. I also like that the cars will dramatically explode. One of the more random things is I enjoy that the uh, font at the end, and I don't remember what word it is, it might just be Crime Buster, is in rainbow. <laughs> And I like this skull and crossbones because it's scary with the eyeballs. Now for my ratings. I give the graphics a 7 out of 10. I found that they were pretty good. Um, I did like them quite a bit. However, um, I found that with the repeated characters and the only change in them is them being flipped or mirrored and they're in a different color. 
it's not as interesting as I'd like it to be. The sound and music, I'd give it a six. I do like that the song is not annoying. I wish maybe there were a few more sound effects rather than just when the cars explode and when the guns are shot. But hey, you can't choose all of them. For gameplay, I give it a seven. Though it's entertaining, it's a little too difficult for me. And for the presentation, I give it an eight. I found that the title screen really made you want to play the game, which seems kind of rare. I feel like the title screens are kind of the, the part where the least amount of work is put into it. Overall, I give this game a 7 out of 10. Over to you, Michael. <laughs> so I just want to tell everybody, um, we don't see each other's reviews. This has been the case all along for every episode when everybody did things. So it's kind of funny how you rated things and how I rated things because they're pretty close. So for uh, graphics, I gave it a 7. I think the graphics are pretty well done. Um, elements cast shadows um, and other items show textures. Uh, or have a texture applied to them. And I feel the animation is well done. Um, as far as sound and music, I gave it a six. I think the title song and the sounds are good, but there's not much variety. Uh, still, I think they are well done and appropriate for this type of game. As far as gameplay goes, I give it a seven. Unlike Barnyard Blaster, game throws multiple targets at you all at once to shoot, as well as ones you shouldn't shoot, which really ups the challenge. Also, when they come out, they come out at different speeds, so it's a nice pace. Sometimes they come out slower, sometimes they come out faster, so your reaction times are uh, different. It's not just the same speed at which they come out. I like the idea that you, the player can shoot out the lights. I think that's a nice little touch, but you know, mentioned it gets darker, just changes the color scheme, and really didn't add much to the gameplay. I think it would have been nice to uh, incorporate this in the gameplay, such as maybe uh, when you shoot the light, it uh, causes all the enemies on the screen to you know, die, or maybe just have them pause for a moment so you, you know, place your shots a little bit more carefully. I like the idea that you can choose uh, which areas of the map uh, to fight crime in, but I would have rather had um, each area be unique. So 12 areas, 12 different screens, but I understand you have limitations on a cartridge. So maybe that was the reason why they didn't do that. I did notice sometimes that the light gun wouldn't allow me to shoot. If I was like shooting a multiple criminals on the screen, it would just pull the trigger and nothing would happen. So there's some sort of delay put into the game. I don't know why this would be the case. I don't think this is part of the hardware. So it must be some sort of delay that the programmers put in. Um, I don't exactly like that. I should be able to shoot as many times as I want, as fast as I want. The driving screen, I think we both agree on this one, is the worst. Uh, Having to shoot arrows in the shooting game takes your eyes off the action and puts it on the car controls. Why not just allow me to shoot the cars or just shoot out the tires? You know, make it make it small areas in the car you got to shoot. Nope, you got to shoot arrows to aim your bullets. And I can tell you uh, the far left and the far right arrows don't guarantee that the enemy bullets won't hit you first. So they don't even go like far right. They got to go at a slight offset. And that allows the enemies to shoot you first. And I just don't think that's fair. But the good news is the driving screen comes up randomly, so you don't have to do it every time. Thank God for that. For presentation, I give it a six. I think the cover might be worse than Barnyard Blaster. It just shows a poorly drawn criminal behind bars with that Ghostbusters no over his face, obviously inspired by the movie. The back of the box is a bit better. And although it shows the horrible driving scene, 
does show different varieties in the game. And of course, if you hadn't played the driving scene, it would be cool to see, oh, I'm shooting and I'm also driving. I do like the title screen and it's a multicolored crime buster. And the shot of your desk really sets the stage for a cop drama. I also like the bulletin board concept for choosing how many players. Overall, I'll give the game a seven. I actually enjoyed playing this game. I do wish it offered more screens and would have either left out the driving screen or implemented a different gameplay. Still, in my opinion, this is the best shooting game made available for the XEGS and would recommend having it in your collection. So that's the end of our reviews. I just want to say I really appreciate Nicole stepping in and um, helping out uh, this time around, and it was a pleasure. And I, I will admit, you're you're probably a better reviewer than I am in some cases. So, <laughs> so good chip chip off the old block, if not an improvement upon it. So thank you. Yeah, it was great being here. I really appreciate finally being a part of it. Yeah, I'm glad too. So everybody, um, this is it. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I just want to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> In our next episode, we take a trip back in time to World War II. First, we play as an Allied commando dropping into the Eagle's Nest to rescue our captured men, attempt to blow up the compound, and make our escape. Then it's time to change sides to play as a German commander during Operation Barbarossa as we attempt to strategically take Russia in Eastern Front 1941. You can find our latest episodes, news, and information on our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We also have links on there so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to thank ComputeHer for giving us permission to use her song software as our show's theme song. You can visit ComputeHer at computeher.com. That's computeher.com for more information. Also, thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Mania database, Wikipedia, and other fine results of Google searching. You're, you're doing very well, by the way. Thank you. Sound better than me. Thank you. <laughs> I'll just I'll just will this show to you. <laughs> you don't have a driving section. I didn't put a driving section in. I just realized that. Oopsie. Thanks, Minute Maid, for your hibiscus juice beverage. Yes. Only three percent juice, but it is ninety-seven percent delicious.